Welcome to Jesus is the Voice of Truth. Cultivating a lifestyle of generosity will transform every aspect of your life, marriage, family, relationship, and your finances. Join Michael Montoya from Jesus for Life Ministries as he reveals the truth to experiencing God's abundance and grace every day. Welcome to Jesus is the Voice of Truth. I'm Michael Montoya. I am a teacher and an evangelist for Jesus is the Voice of Truth. And I'm, I'm so happy that you joined us today. We've got something really good. We're going to be talking about the Beatitudes. So you can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. It is no accident that the Sermon on the Mount is placed near the beginning of the New Testament. Its position indicates the importance of it. In it, the king summarizes the character and conduct expected of his subjects. nor is its teaching intended for unsaved people. It was addressed to the disciples. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and was intended to be the constitution or the system of laws and principles, which was to govern the king's subjects during his reign. It was meant for all, past, present, or future, who acknowledges Christ as king. When Christ was on the earth, it had direct application to his disciples. Now, while our Lord reigns in heaven, it applies to all who crown him king in their hearts. Finally, it will be the code of behavior for Christ's followers during the tribulation and during his reign on earth. The sermon has a distinct Jewish flavor as seen in Allusions to the council. The Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12 and 5, 1 to 2. The sermon opens with the Beatitudes or blessings. These set forth the ideal citizen of Christ's kingdom. The qualities described and approved are the opposite of those that the world values. A.W. Tozer describes them thus. A fairly accurate description of the human race might be furnished one unacquainted with by taking the Beatitudes, turning them wrong side out and saying, here is your human race. Matthew 5.3, the first blessing is pronounced on the poor in spirit. This does not refer to natural disposition, but to one's deliberate choice and discipline. The poor in spirit are those who acknowledge their helplessness and rely on God's omnipotence. They sense their spiritual need and find it supplied only in the Lord. The kingdom of heaven, where self-sufficiency is no virtue and self-exaltation is a vice, belongs to such people. Matthew 5, 4, those who mourn are blessed. A day of comfort awaits them. This does not refer to mourning because the vicissitudes of life. It is the sorrow which one experiences because of fellowship with the Lord Jesus. It is an active sharing of the world's hurt and sin with Jesus. Therefore, it includes not only sorrow for one's own sin, but also sorrow because of the world's appalling condition, its rejection of the Savior, 
and the doom of those who refuses his mercy. These mourners shall be comforted in the coming day when God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. You can look that up in Revelations 21, 4. Believers do all their mourning in this life for unbelievers. Today's grief is only a foretaste of eternal sorrow. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. A third blessing is pronounced on the meek. They shall inherit the earth. By nature, these people might be volatile, temperamental, and gruff. But by purposefully taking Christ's spirit on them, they become meek or gentle. Compared in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, meekness implies acceptance of one's own lowly position. The meek person is gentle and mild in his own cause, though he may be a lion in God's case. The meek do not now inherit the earth, rather they inherit abuse and disposition. But they will literally inherit the earth when Christ, the King, reigns for a thousand years in peace and prosperity. Matthew 5, 6, next, a blessing is pronounced on those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They are promised satisfaction. These people have a passion for righteousness in their own lives. They long to see honesty, integrity, and justice in society. They look for practical holiness in the church. Like the people of whom Gamaliel Bradford, an American biographer, wrote, they have a thirst no earthly stream can satisfy, a hunger that must feed on Christ or die. These people will be abundantly satisfied in Christ's coming kingdom. They shall be filled. For righteousness will reign, corruption will give way to the highest moral standards. Matthew 5, 7, In our Lord's kingdom the merciful are blessed, for they shall obtain mercy. To be merciful means to be actively compassionate. In one sense it means to withhold punishment from offenders who deserve it. In a wider sense, it means to help others in need who cannot help themselves. God showed mercy in sparing us from the judgment which our sins deserved and in demonstrating kindness to us through the saving work of Christ. We imitate God when we have compassion. The merciful shall obtain mercy. Here, Jesus is not referring to the mercy of salvation which God gives to a believing sinner. That mercy is not dependent on a person's being merciful. It is free, unconditional gift. Rather, the Lord is speaking of the daily mercy needed for Christian living and of the mercy in that future day when one's work will be reviewed. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 and 15. If one has not been merciful, that person will not receive mercy. That is, one's reward will decrease accordingly. Matthew 5, 8, the pure in heart are given the assurance that they shall see God. A pure-hearted person is one whose motives are unmixed, whose thoughts are holy, whose conscience is clean. The expression, they shall see God, may be understood in several ways. First, the pure in heart see God, now through fellowship in the Word and the Holy Spirit. Second, they sometimes have a supernatural appearance or a vision of the Lord presented to them. Third, they shall see God in the person of Jesus when he comes again. And fourth, they shall see God in eternity.
Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, a blessing is pronounced on the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. Notice that the Lord is not speaking about people with a peaceful disposition or those who love peace. He is referring to those who actively intervene to make peace. The natural approach is to watch strife from the sidelines. The divine approach is to take positive action towards creating peace, even if it means taking abuse and invective. Peacemakers are called sons of God. This is not how they become sons of God. That can only happen by the receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. John chapter 1 verse 12. By making peace, believers manifest themselves as sons of God, and God will one day acknowledge them as people who bear the family likeness. Matthew chapter 5 verse 10, the next beatitude deals with those who are persecuted, not for their own wrongdoing, but for righteousness' sake. The kingdom of heaven is promised to those believers who suffer for doing right. Their integrity condemns the ungodly world and brings out its hostility. People hate a righteous life because it exposes their own unrighteousness. Matthew chapter 5 verse 11, the final beatitude seems to be a repetition of the preceding one. However, there is one difference. In the previous verse, the subject was persecution because of righteousness. Here it is persecution for Christ's sake. The Lord knew that disciples would be maltreated because of their association with him and the loyalty to him. History has confirmed this from the outset of the world has persecuted, jailed, and it killed followers of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5 verses 12, to suffer for Christ's sake is a privilege that should cause joy. A great reward awaits those who thus become companions of the prophets of tribulation. Those Old Testament spokesmen for God stood true in spite of persecution. All who imitate their loyal courage will share their present exhilaration and future exaltation. The Beatitudes presents a portrait of the ideal citizen in Christ's kingdom. Notice the emphasis on righteousness, on peace, and on joy on verses 6 through 12. Paul probably had this passage in mind when he wrote, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 14, 7. I like to finish by giving everyone a chance to know Jesus better. Make Jesus the Lord of your life if you haven't. The prayer of salvation is our first real conversation with God, and the prayer of salvation is also the most important prayer you will ever pray. When you're ready to become a Christian, you're ready to have your first conversation with God. And these are the components. So we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God, that he came to earth as a man in order to live the sinful life that we could not live, and that he died in our place so that we would not have to pay the penalty that we deserve. We confess our past life of sins, living for ourselves and not obeying God. We admit that we are ready to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. We ask Jesus to come into our heart, take up residence there, and begin living through us. It begins with faith in God. When we pray the prayer of salvation, we're letting God know that we believe that His Word is true. By the faith He has given us, we choose to believe in Him. You know, the Bible tells us that without faith it is impossible to please Him 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6 So when we pray, asking God for the gift of salvation, we're exercising our free will to acknowledge that we believe in him. That demonstration of faith pleases God because we have freely chosen to know him. We are confessing our sin. When we pray the prayer of salvation, we're admitting that we have sinned. As the Bible says of everyone saved through Christ alone, for all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God, Romans 3:23. To sin is simply to fall short of the mark as an arrow that does not quite hit the bullseye. The glory of God that we fall short of is found only in Jesus Christ. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 6. The prayer of salvation then recognizes that Jesus Christ is the only human who ever lived without sin. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 We are professing faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. With Christ as our standard of perfection, we're acknowledging faith in Him as God, agreeing with the Apostle John that in the beginning was the Word, Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Because God could only accept a perfect, sinless sacrifice, and because He knew that, we could not possibly accomplish that. He sent His only Son to die for us and pay that eternal price. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 If you want to accept Jesus in your life today, and you mean it with your heart. Don't wait a moment longer to start your new life with Jesus Christ. Remember, this prayer is not a magical formula. You are simply expressing your heart to God. And if you're ready, you can repeat the words after me. Father, I know that I have broken your laws and my sins have separated me from you. I am truly sorry. I now want to turn away from my past sinful life towards you. Please forgive me. And help me avoid sinning again. I believe that your son Jesus Christ died for my sins. Was resurrected from the dead. And is alive. And here's my prayers today. I invite Jesus to become the Lord of my life. To rule and reign in my heart from this day forward. Please send your Holy Spirit to help me obey you. And to do your will for the rest of my life. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. So you're probably saying to yourself. I prayed it. Now what happens? If you prayed this prayer of salvation with true conviction in your heart, you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. This is a fact. Whether or not you feel different, some religious systems might have led you to believe that you should feel something, a warm glow, tingle, or some mystical experience. In fact, you might and you might not. If you have prayed the prayer of salvation and you meant it, you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that our eternal salvation is secure. And it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
And that's in Romans 10.9. Welcome to the family of God. We encourage you to find a local Bible-based church where you can fellowship with other believers and grow in the knowledge of God through His Word, the Bible. This ministry is listener-supported. If you feel that you have benefited from this message from God, please consider helping to support this ministry and give the gift of any amount so that we can continue to spread the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord richly bless you, your family, and friends. Until next time, God bless. I hope you enjoyed today's program. If you have any prayer requests or questions about Jesus is the Voice of Truth, we encourage you to email us at voiceoftruth411 at gmail.com or visit our website at jesusisthevoiceoftruth.com. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. Have a blessed day.